This is The Guardian. Today, tax rises and spending cuts. Just how much is the autumn statement going to hurt? This year, the global economy has been on a roller coaster, and the UK has had a hair-raising front row seat. After months of preparations, the Russian President Vladimir Putin has launched a major military operation against Ukraine. So from October, the energy price cap will increase to £3,549, and that's a huge rise. The cost of living crisis has been staring us in the face for six months now, and it's a real problem for people struggling with their bills. And that was all before being dealt with a major economic blow. Trussonomics. But I'm not going to cut the additional rate of tax today, Mr Speaker. I'm going to abolish it altogether. Yeah. From April the 23rd, we will have the highest... Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng's brief stint in Downing Street quite simply freaked the markets out. And that damage, compounded by global factors, is proving to have a lasting effect. Commentators have forecasted an economic black hole. I'm afraid, as you say, yes, we are forecasting a recession. Here's the thing that the government is focused on right now, filling the black hole in the public finances. The director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies is saying this morning that there's a £60 billion black hole. But today, with inflation at a 41-year high and living standards falling across the country, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, in his first major economic act, will be laying out the government's plan to turn things around. The Guardian's economics editor, Larry Elliott, will be watching closely. Today's statement is a very, very big deal. The economy is already in recession or on the cusp of recession. Uh, normally at this stage, the Treasury would be taking measures to prevent the economy from weakening further. So it'd be probably cutting taxes or increasing public spending. Today, Jeremy Hunt is going to do the opposite. The measures the Chancellor has warned are going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be some very difficult choices. I've used the word eye-watering before. And that's the Prime Minister has tried to reassure us. But I'm confident that what the government will deliver on Thursday will be fair, it will be compassionate, it will deal with the challenges we face and put us on a path to recovery for the future. But will this be the first step to economic recovery? Or are we on course for Austerity 2.0? So potentially, he is making what is already a very difficult situation for the economy a whole lot worse. From The Guardian, I'm Nashi Nekbal. Today in Focus, will Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement be all pain and no gain? Larry Elliott, you're The Guardian's economics editor, and you're used to seeing Tory politicians use all sorts of terms to describe the country's problems. We've heard them warning us about the deficit, and now there's a new phrase the black hole that we keep hearing about, what do they mean by it? Well, I think we should be very careful 
to start with about using the words black hole to describe the situation we're in. Essentially, what it means is the government's aim is to get the national debt down as a proportion of the economy over time. And it thinks that on current plans, that's not possible, that we're actually living beyond our means. We're spending too much, taxing too little, and therefore, over time, a big black hole will appear in the public finances that can only be filled eventually by even more stringent measures. And Larry, I sort of get a sense of where the answer is going, but how worried are you about this apparently terrifying black hole? I'm not at all worried about it because these forecasts of a black hole are based around a a number of assumptions, how fast the economy can grow, what its potential is for growth in the future. And they're very sensitive to different projections. The Office for Budget Responsibility, which is going to be responsible for saying whether there's a black hole or not, every year marks its own homework to say how well it did in forecasting the economy. And it gets things wrong all the time by quite substantial margins. So two or three years out, it can be out by 40 or 50 billion pounds, the size of the deficit. So if you think that the numbers that we've been hearing banded around are of a black hole of 50, 60 billion, that could quite easily be soaked up by the forecasting errors made by the Office of Budget Responsibility. So I'm not at all convinced by these arguments. I think that they're just being used as a pretext for some quite serious and damaging austerity. So whether or not someone accepts the black hole is a thing, How bad is the current state of the UK economy and how does it compare to countries across the world? Well, the economy is in pretty bad shape. The UK is the only one of the group of seven big industrial nations which has yet to return to its pre-pandemic level of output, which is, you know, not, not a great position to start with. The Bank of England has raised interest rates at every meeting of its Monetary Policy Committee this year. um, And that increase in interest rates, taking it to 3%, is slowing the economy. It's having a big impact on the housing market, which is pivotal to the UK economy. So if we're not in a recession, we're technically we're on the cusp of one. And that recession will probably go on for most of next year. So that's the sort of backdrop to where the government starts its process of thinking about the, the autumn statement today. And how does all of that look on the ground from what you've seen in your day-to-day reporting? I think people are finding it very tough. I was in Fife last week looking at a a sort of extension of the food bank idea set up by Gordon Brown, where I was staggered by the extent to which people are now relying upon help from from other people, not just poor people, but people on sort of low to middle incomes that are now dependent on charity, as we would once have put it. I mean, 15 years ago, food banks were completely unknown in the UK. They didn't exist. You know, virtually... Yeah weren't on people's radar. Mm. And now, you know, you're finding that demand for food banks is actually going through the roof. I mean, we we are in a very, very difficult position. And the government today is probably in the short term going to be making matters worse. Larry, you've covered a considerable number of budgets and seen a fair few chancellors in your time, three this year alone. What do you think we can expect from today's autumn statement? Today's autumn statement is going to say three things. Taxes up, spending down, deficit reduced. That's going to be the the broad message from the government. We are going to see uh, everyone paying more tax. We're going to see spending cuts. Uh, But I think it's very important to say that we are a resilient country. 
in these circumstances, a government would normally be thinking, particularly at this stage of a political cycle, about giving out some goodies to the people, uh, to actually boosting growth. But actually, this government is doing completely the opposite. In the anticipation, really, that what it's doing will boost market confidence and take pressure off the Bank of England so that increases in interest rates will be limited. That's the theory. Okay, let's start with tax rises. Where will Jeremy Hunt be looking to raise some money? Last time we had austerity back in 2010 from George Osborne, most of the heavy lifting was done on the spending side. So only 20% of the austerity came from tax increases and 80% came from spending cuts. I expect to see a more even split this time. It won't be exactly 50-50, but more of it is going to be coming from taxes than it than happened in 2010 under George Osborne. And some of that will be an increase in the windfall tax on, on energy suppliers who have done really well out of, out of Putin's war. But also we are going to see personal taxes increasing. And I think what Jeremy Hunt will do there is announce an extension of freezes on tax thresholds. Now, tax thresholds are the point at which you go from the basic rate into the higher rate of tax from 20p to 40p. Now, as your income grows, if they hold the tax threshold at the same level, you go from a 20% band into a 40% band. So although you're not, strictly speaking, increasing your tax rate, you're taking more tax off people. And it's known something known as fiscal drag. They're already freezing tax thresholds until 2025. I think it'll extend that into 27, 28. Larry, I am old enough to remember the last Chancellor's highly controversial statement when all these taxes were going to be cut a whole seven weeks ago. And now those tax cuts are being, well, they're not just being abandoned. Everyone's taxes, as you said, are actually going up. It does feel like economic whiplash. How is this going down in the Tory party? Well, It remains to be seen how today's statement will go down. I think it's fair to say there are certain amounts of misgivings in the Tory party about the the policy stance being taken by Sunak and Hunt. I mean, normally governments hand out austerity measures if they're going to do it in the first budget after a general election. It gives time for the measures to work through and by the time the next election, people generally forgotten about the pain that was administered early on. That's the plan. Now, you know, to do this at this stage of a political cycle obviously has very deep political risks. And Tory MPs know that. They know their position in the opinion polls, which is dire. And what some of them worry about is that if this drives the economy into an even deeper recession, there's not time for the economy to recover and for the Tory party's political fortunes to recover before the next election. And then, of course, another aspect of the autumn statement is this announcement on government spending, or rather the lack of it from what we're reading. Larry, where do you expect the big cuts to come? I think they'll be across the board. I think that one of the easy cuts for them to make, but a pretty damaging cut, is in capital spending in infrastructure spending. Capital spending involves anything that the government spends on the on the public realm in terms of, you know, building schools, putting down new roads, new railways for the north, uh, new hospitals, all those things are on the capital side of the, the account for government. And, you know, I expect to see a lot of those projects either mothballed or scrapped altogether. So that's one aspect. 
The other side is that every government department, probably outside of health, is going to be asked to make cuts in its budget. Some departments have never really recovered from austerity 1.0. And so, you know, you're going to find departments like Ministry of Justice, Home Office, you know, areas like policing, prisons, local government are really going to find it hard. Larry, I don't think I'm the only one experiencing deja vu here. It does all sound like austerity 2.0. How successful were austerity measures the last time they were tried on the country in 2010? Austerity 1.0 was a flop. Today is the day when Britain steps back from the brink, when we confront... When we confront the bills from a decade of debt, a day of rebuilding, when we set out a four-year plan to put our public services and welfare state on a sustainable footing for the long term. It didn't work. The idea was that when George Osborne announced austerity 1.0 was that by the end of 2015, by the end of the first parliament, everything would be done and dusted. That just didn't happen. Then the deadline was put back to 2020, and now we're getting austerity 2.0, and we could be fine that the date for when the, the golden moment when we actually balance the books and get everything straight was, is into the 2030s. So I just wonder why we are locked into this seemingly endless cycle of doing things which we know don't work. I mean, you know, who has it said that madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? We're doing the same thing over and again and expecting a different result. I mean, there won't be a different result, in my view. And even realistically, is there much left to cut? I mean, I'm sure you've had conversations with friends, family, where everyone says things just aren't quite working. You know, A&E departments are closing at half six. We all know about how long the queues are for ambulances. Everything just feels a bit harder and a bit broken. Is there much left to cut? Well, the government can always cut. It's a question of what damage you do by those cuts to the level of public services. Seven million people on the NHS waiting list, you know, A&E times going through the roof. These things are a factor of not having the money to spend on them. It's as simple as that. And of course, these announcements come at the same time as public sector pay being frozen or certainly not keeping up with inflation. There are already strikes looming on the horizon. Nurses last week announced that they would be going on strike for the first time in their history to try and get better pay. Head teachers are threatening strike action. Even civil servants have voted to take strike action. Larry, surely these spending cuts will put even more pressure on public sector pay. Now, does the government have a plan of how it will handle the prospect of widespread nationwide industrial action? No, I don't think it does. No, I, I, in fact, I, I think that the government is assuming that the public sector workers will just suck it up. I mean, that seems to be the view of the Treasury and the Chancellor and the Prime Minister. There are two dangers here. One is the one that you've just mentioned, which is that you have a winter of discontent, you know, which is it goes back to 1978-9, where public sector workers just say, you know, well, we've had enough. And the second one is the, the public sector finds it really hard to recruit and retain people. Um, and that uh, you're already seeing signs of that, I think, a sort of brain drain from good public sector workers who can find work in the private sector. And what about people on benefits and those of pension age? Will both of those rise in line with inflation? 
I think they, they will. I think that Jeremy Hunt, he's toyed with the idea of raising the pension and benefits in line with earnings rather than inflation, which would be a lower figure, which would save the government several billion pounds a year if he did so. Uh, but I think he's decided that the just the agro is not worth it. I think that the other point he's trying to make is that this is a caring government, that mm. the government looks after the most vulnerable. I mean, that's a bit more tenuous, I think, because even if benefits go up in line with inflation, people on benefits are going to be significantly worse off than they were during the pandemic, just, wow. be just because the universal credit uplift that was a given at the start of the pandemic about 20 pounds a week mm. has been taken away and other pandemic um, related benefits have also been taken away. Obviously part of uh, Truss's big package um, to the public was this two year reprieve on rocketing energy bills. What can we expect in terms of help for people beyond April next year? I think that we will see today a scaling back of government support, quite marked in fact. The trust plan was for two years and it looked like it was going to affect all households. I think that after April, we will see just the most vulnerable households. So people on benefits, maybe pensioners, maybe who will get the guaranteed lower prices. I think everybody else is probably going to be paying the market price. Coming up. The government says today's announcements will be difficult, but necessary. How necessary are they? Larry, you've laid out how big today is for the UK economy. It's a day when we're all going to have to watch stealth tax rises and public spending cuts being laid out in pretty stark terms. Now, the government says it's all necessary, but is this really the only way out of our economic problems? No, there are alternatives. I mean, it's one of the big myths is that you know, there is no alternative to doing what the government is doing. The government could decide just to ignore this deficit for the time being and just do essentially do what trust was, was aiming, which was to grow the economy. John Maynard Keynes once said, you look after the economy and the deficit will look after itself. The other way is that the government could borrow more money. I mean, there are economists who say that the, the government could just order the Bank of England to buy up its bonds, you know, in a process known as quantitative easing. So my, my good friend Richard Murphy has talked about the idea that in the end, a government that prints its own currency can always rely on its central bank to, to mop up whatever debt it what, so print more money? Uh, print more money. Well, that's what the government did during the pandemic and what it did during the financial crisis. Is that sustainable? I, I think it's an argument that people use. I, I think the, the problem is that with inflation so high, I mean, one of the arguments against printing money is that it leads to high, even higher levels of inflation mm. potentially. But the other argument is that you could just raise taxes on, on the wealthy. If you really think that you need to close the budget deficit by traditional means... Mm then why do it through means which are particularly harmful to the long-term future of the economy? Would any of those alternatives, do you think, be accepted by the markets, who are obviously very spooked by Kwasi Kwarteng's vision of what an alternative economic plan could be? Yeah, I think they would be. I think that in the end, the government is more 
sway over the markets than maybe the government thinks. I mean, I think that Truss and Quartain would have probably got away with their mini budget had they kept to the pledges that Truss made during the leadership contest. So, really? Yeah. So had she just come up with an energy plan and reversed the national insurance increase, the markets have already taken that on board. I think it was all the bells and whistles. I think that the market management of the by Trust and Quartain was poor. Market management by Hunt and Sunak has all been about calming things down. And I think that two things worth looking out for politically. One is how much does this bind the hands of a future Labour government? And the other is how much wriggle room are Hunt and Sunak going to give themselves today in order to cut taxes before an election? Because it's quite clear to me what the political aim of the government is. They're going to say, we're going to get on top of inflation, which is going to come down anyway. We're going to close the budget deficit. After we've done that, we are going to cut taxes before the next election. And then, then they will say to the people, we inherited a real mess. We've started to sort things out. You're now getting a down payment on you know, how things will be if you vote for us again. You can't trust Labour to stick to the tough spending and tax plans that we've laid down, so vote us in next time. I think that is the political trap that the Tories are trying to set for Labour. It's canny stuff. How do Labour even counter that here? I think you know, Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves are pretty cautious politicians. I mean, they're not gung-ho for massive amounts of unfunded public spending themselves. What they will say, I'm sure, is, yeah, we agree that there are tough decisions to be made, but you can make those tough decisions in different ways. You don't have to do things in exactly the same way as the government is doing. I guess, nonetheless, today is the first big test for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. How involved has he been in the making of this autumn statement? And how different is it to what we saw for all of five minutes with Trussonomics? Today's mini statement, autumn statement, is as though Trussonomics never existed. I mean, mm. it's, it's the sort of budget that Rishi Sunak would have delivered had he not been constrained by Boris Johnson. It's the sort of autumn statement that he was promising during the election campaign with Liz Truss when they were fighting to be Tory party leader. Hunt is the chancellor, but this has got Rishi Sunak's fingers all over it. And Sunak is a, is a, is a fiscal conservative by which I mean that you know he, he believes that deficits matter, that the government shouldn't run permanently big budget deficits and that you have to cut your cloth accordingly. And so Hunt and Sunak are joined at the hip, essentially, really. I mean, traditionally, governments don't survive that long if the Chancellor and the Prime Minister don't get on together. But I think it's quite clear that Sunak and Hunt are reading from the same page. Well, the unravelling of Kwasi Kwarteng's budget was so brutal and so fast. When will we know if the measures that Jeremy Hunt announces today are working or not? Well, we won't know whether today's statement has worked in a week or in a month or in three months or probably even six months or a year. It will take time. I mean, certainly on the on the spending side, it's really a long-term issue. But people you know, will feel it in the meantime, won't people they? People will feel it. But in terms of the long-term impact on the economy, I mean, people still talk 
now still debate whether the Jeffrey Hale's 1981 budget, which was 41 years ago, whether that was good or bad for the economy. And was it? I think it was on balance. It was bad for the economy, but there are there are people who say that it was a it was it was a brave budget in same in the same way that this one was a tough brave budget. It will take years before the consequence. I mean, austerity 1.0. It was at least five years, you know, before the impact of that was felt on the economy as a whole, rather than on individual people. Certainly, on individual people, the impact was felt much much sooner. And you and I think you could. F- not just feel it, but you could see it. I mean, the rise of street homelessness and just, yeah, libraries closing and I mean, like we've mentioned, like public services just creaking. Yeah. How much more can we handle? Well, I mean, that that's going to be the interesting question. I mean, I think that one of the interesting points about this budget is just how much more pain are people prepared to take? One of the interesting things, comparisons with 2010 is that back then people thought, yeah, okay, we probably do need to tighten our belts a bit. The, you know, the financial crisis had just happened. Up until the financial crisis, we'd had 16 years of uninterrupted growth. People's real living standards have risen quite sharply. Since then, we've had a period in which public sector has you know, seen deep cuts. People's living standards have not increased, really. You know, it's a kind of different environment. And I'm not sure that there's the fat to cut either in terms of individual households or in terms of the economy as a whole as there was back then. What do you think it does to the reputation of a party that's that's built its reputation, I guess, in some senses on sort of fiscal responsibility and knowing how to deal with the economics of a country? I mean, that's sort of Tory bread and butter. And if what did the last 12 years then do for that credibility going forward? It's now impossible for them to blame previous governments for the problems that they're in. They own this problem. Because the Tories have been in power for the last 12 years. How long can they carry on without people saying, you know what, these people have a reputation for managing the economy, but it's really, really, really not deserved because mm-hmm. they've screwed things up so monumentally in the last 12 years. I mean, you know, the record, apart from on unemployment, where you know the labour market has been quite strong, but apart from that, you know, growth has been weak, investment's been weak, productivity's been weak. Uh, it's kind of a pretty dismal record and if I was them you know I'd be really worried about the next election. Larry finally what kind of Britain do you expect we'll be living in over the next five years? I'm a kind of optimist I think things will things will be better in five years time I mean I think that I mean obviously in the short term things are going to be really tough the next year is going to be pretty gruesome I think but inflation will gradually come down during the course of next year and if people's pay awards continue at the current rate or somewhere near them, then their living standards are going to start to rise. So within 18 months, I suspect that people will now look back on late 2022 and early 2023 as probably the worst. This winter is going to be pretty bloody, I think. But you know, there is the potential for the economy to do better. I mean, there are lots of new industries which are growing up, biotechnology, the greening of the economy. The economy is supposedly on the cusp of a fourth industrial revolution. Bad times don't last forever. Um, and you know, we might have a different government with a different view of how to grow the economy. We might have a Labour government which is committed to you know, spending 30 billion pounds a year, whatever it is, on, on, on tackling climate change. It's, it's kind of easy to fall into the trap of feeling that things are bad and going to stay bad forever, but they, they won't. 
I'm always here for optimism. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you. That was Larry Elliott. You can follow news and analysis from him and the rest of the economics and politics teams and watch the autumn statement live today at theguardian.com. And for even more, do listen to Politics Weekly out today, where John Harris will be speaking to Pippa Carrera and Raphael Baer about today's autumn statement. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Khatena. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.